Let's get this W on three. One, two, three. to the W Podcast, hosted by Princess and Love. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the W Podcast. I am so excited to be back with you guys. We are, what, one week away from the All-Star Game in Minneapolis, which myself, Princess, and my co-host, Lo, will both be attending. Say what's up to everybody, Lo. Hi, everybody. How you guys been? It's been a while. It's good to be back. Yeah, it has been a little while, right? But like I said, we're going to be going to All-Star Game and we're going to be bringing you such good content from that weekend. We're so excited to go and be there in Minneapolis, meet everybody, get some sound, put it all in a podcast, bring it all to you guys front and center. So um, to preview that game, of course, we are going to be talking with one of the most um, well-versed and knowledgeable media members of this time period, honestly, because she has honestly been covering women's basketball from the very beginning, especially on the professional side. Um, And that person is Michelle Vopel. She's here today. She joined ESPN over 20 years ago and has since been covering women's college and pro basketball as a writer for the platform. She's attended over 20 straight women's basketball final fours, has gone to countless WNBA games, countless WNBA finals, all-star games, drafts, all of that. She is so knowledgeable about what goes on in the WNBA women's basketball. We are so excited to have her on the podcast today. So, Michelle, for you, we wanted to start things off by asking you about your introduction to sports and to women's basketball. I just talked you up and, and, and mentioned how great and involved you are and everything, but how did you get started? How did you become a fan and eventually a professional writer covering the sport? The introduction to sports was like it just came really naturally. I can remember being like four years old and just sitting in front of the TV. I was a huge, huge football and baseball fan as a really little kid. And I all I can attribute that to is, you know, we have just our natural interests I think we're born with and, and um, affinity. And uh, this was, and I know this will make you guys laugh, but this is still in, you know, it was black and white TV. I had a black and white TV uh, as a kid. Uh, I, I had my first color TV in my room when I was about 17. Uh, I got one for Christmas. But before that, I was mostly watching black and white, watched sports on black and white. And, of course, it was almost all men's sports. But I was mesmerized by it. I I always think back, you know, my dad once asked me, he said, how did you – how do you know so much about football and baseball? He asked me when I was probably like eight. He's like, how do you know all this? And I was like, I don't know. I just picked it up. You know, I read the newspaper and watched everything that was on that I could watch. And um, so it was just a natural love. But what I can remember specifically about women's sports, and this was such a big deal to me, was the 1976 Winter Olympics. Uh, I was, 10 then, so that was the first Olympics I was really old enough to know everything that was going on. 
and women were featured really prominently, you know, in sports back then, like speed skating and figure skating and skiing. And it was like, it was like a revolutionary to me. Like it was so big of a deal to see women being treated as heroes in all these different sports and getting a lot of the same screen time that men did in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, the other sports then, you know, that got attention for the women would be, you know, tennis to some degree golf. But that was about it. And so that's how I really, you know, became very passionately interested in women's sports. And then quickly how that transferred to women's basketball was um, in, in you know, 1982, that was the first time that the NCAA tournament was held. It was AIW before then. But the NCAA women's final in 1982 was on my 17th birthday. It was a Sunday afternoon. Cheney State and Louisiana Tech. And I remember just watching that, again, just mesmerized. And from that day on, I, women's basketball was, I guess you'd say, my my primary love. That's a really great story, and that's a great birthday gift, Ashley, too. So how did you get into your writing career? Were you always interested in writing, or were you drawn to it because of your love of sports? Yeah, I always loved writing. That was just something I was always really um, drawn to and liked to do. Um, it, it Again, I felt like it was something that came pretty naturally. I loved to read, loved to write. Um, when I was a kid, you know, when you, you got the newspaper, <laughs> um, and this was, you know, in the 1970s. I was born in 1965, just for a little while. Uh, um, just let you know what, what period I'm talking about. Uh, the mm-hmm. news, newspaper was everything, and I would read it cover to cover. I would read everything, even the things I wasn't interested in, just because mm-hmm. it was in the newspaper. And uh, I think that back then there was a little seed in my head of maybe I was going to write for a living, but it hadn't germinated yet. When it really fully germinated is when I went to the University of Missouri. Now, it's known for its journalism school, but in reality, it was just, I'm from I'm from Missouri. I grew up there and, you know, followed Missouri sports team. I can't say that I have this plan in my head when I went to Mizzou, oh, I'm going to go to J school and then become a sports writer. It seems completely like that's, you know, it was destiny. But I didn't know that when I went there. I didn't know what I was going to do. And the first uh, like the first night that the student newspaper was put out um, of, of the second semester of my freshman year. First semester, I was just kind of figuring out what the heck was going on. But second semester, I went to the newspaper and I said, what do you have to do to, to write the newspaper? And basically, you just had to pass the mirror test. Right? <laughs> you just had to come in with a pulse and be willing to sit down at a typewriter and write. And yeah, I'm serious, typewriters. We were still using those then. So that's what I did. They gave me a press release from the Missouri uh, Sports Information Department about indoor track. They said, write a story about this. I said, okay. The next day, I saw my byline in the newspaper. I was hooked. Oh, my gosh. That's my name, right? I wrote Mm -hmm. a story. It's in the newspaper. Um, And that's when I knew what I was going to do. And told my parents, I'm going to be a journalist after that. And that's, that's what happened. 
So from the time you started writing on typewriters to today, who's been the most polarizing women's basketball personality that you've covered? Um, so this can be a player, a coach, a fan, just who is someone that will always be in your memory as the most exciting or even game-changing figure in women's basketball? But that's interesting because that may be two different things, who's polarizing versus who's most exciting and game-changing. But mm -hmm. I think I, I know I know um, what the answer to the first one is, is Gina Oriema. He's been polarizing um, because he's done a – incredible amount for the game and just has been unbelievably successful but obviously he has some fans that don't care for him a lot in the state of Tennessee and a lot of that is rivalry but in some ways I think that's been good you know he's just he's embraced that personality of being somebody who says what he thinks just says hey um, this is what I believe and I'm going to say it and I'm not going to be afraid to say it uh, from a playing standpoint, probably Diana Draws is his player, you know, kind of his uh, uh, his mini-me, <laughs> if you will, in terms of personality. Um, but game-changing in terms of the impact, I just don't think there's been anybody more than that on it with, with how widespread her impact was, how many people looked to her, how much she changed. Um, what it meant to, to, to pursue excellence in women's basketball and in, in women's sports. I'm not sure anybody uh, ever had more of a widespread and long-term impact than she did. Obviously, you've interviewed some amazing people, and you're one of our favorite writers to follow because we know you're always going to bring fair and well-researched opinions and news on the ladies we love to watch every day. But who does the best go to for her information? Who are some writers that you follow or writers that you would suggest that our listeners follow as well? Well, I, th I think that's really broadened. And even in this year, it's broadened because we see more and more people um, getting involved in doing things like podcasts, in doing their own blogs. Uh, in writing um, for newspapers or different websites. And so that's been really nice to see. And I say that because um, it's, a hard, it's, it's a hard business to make a living in. It really is for a lot of people. And to cover women's sports has always been a little harder because less resources have been put to it. So what we're seeing now is people who I think, you know, a lot of them have other jobs that they do. In fact, probably the majority have other jobs that they do and other freelancing sometimes jobs that they do, but uh, commit time and resources to uh, cover women's basketball. And there's a lot of different names. I, it's not, I, I want to mention some names, but I'm always afraid that I won't mention enough names and people will feel like I intentionally left something out, which I definitely don't want to do. I want to give a really big shout out to Cheryl Coward with Hootseed who just does an amazing job of, of getting news out there. I mean, she's mm -hmm. constantly doing that, and she's so um, committed and passionate to women's basketball. Sue Favor, um, you know, with Women's Hoops World, is another person who has that same passion and commitment, you know, 24-7 uh, to women's basketball. Both of them have really dedicated a lot of their lives to this. Um, there's 
some younger writers that I'm seeing now. Um, I think it's, uh, and forgive me if I don't have the name, I think it's Ava Wallace, I think, at the Washington Post, um, who's been doing a lot of work. Um, there's Lindsay Gibbs um, with Think Progress and some other websites. Uh, Howard Megdal, who started um, what was Summit Hoops and now it's High Post Hoops. Mendel, who does a lot of breaking down um, uh, breaking down X's and O's in women's basketball, and I think does a really nice job with that. Um, there's more and more people who I think are bringing different types of expertise to how they're seeing women's basketball. And what I mean by that is um, some of them are bringing more, uh, different types of expertise in terms of, okay, I'm going to break this game down from a surely X's and O's factor I'm going to break this game down uh, or this team down from how their schedule looks. I'm going to do different types of reporting. And all those things are, are great because I think that women's basketball needs m more and more voices. But the other factor in this is the diversity of voices. Um, I think that's important, and I think it's, imp it's important to the players that we're seeing um, – young women, young men um, come into covering women's basketball who have sometimes a lot in common with the players in terms of, let's say, what music they like to listen to or what they're watching now. And I'm really excited about that because I think that just – it just makes the, the players even more well-rounded, if you will, in terms of their, their presentation, how they're – how they're described, how they're presented. Um, these players are so interesting. Uh, we're talking about the WNBA right now. College players are too, but the WNBA players are, are particularly interesting to me because they're so educated. They've, most of them have been have traveled the world. Um, they have a lot to say, and they have a lot to share with people along with their basketball talent. So I, I know that's a long answer, but I just feel like there's more people now than ever before, who are adding their voice to um, to women's basketball, whether again whether that's written or whether it's through podcasts or, or other means, and that's just great to see. It really is. I can't tell you how much it means to me. You know, who's watched this have to grow for a long time to see so many people adding their talents to that. I think I can speak for Lo and myself when I say thank you for acknowledging the fact that covering women's basketball is tough. I mean, because it's not something that we can yet dedicate 100% of our time to. Like most of us have to work as freelancers, you know, even on top of having a full-time job. And we're forced to be creative when it comes to delegating our time to covering it. And we love it so much that we're excited to do it. And uh, we at the W Podcast like to add a different side of the coverage. Like we like to incorporate women's basketball with music, and fashion, and our culture and what we love and what we see the players love too. So we want to connect with them on that level, you know. I say all of us to say thank you, like as an OG in the game, for acknowledging what a lot of us as up-and-coming media members covering the WNBA and or college basketball are doing right now. Thank you. Well, you guys are the future, and and I and I really, I, this is really important to me to say. That passion that you have is what keeps the 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 coverage going forward. 
and it's something that I think we share, you know, uh, even with a difference in ages or difference in experiences in terms of the media world, because obviously when I started, there was no such thing as, you know, the Internet or Facebook or Twitter or podcasts or any of that. Um, but what there was, it was exactly the same was that passion. And for so many years, you know, I had people tell me, if you ever want to be anything in the media, you need to get you need to move on from women's sports. I mean, that happened a lot. They would say, go do something else. You know, write about something else. Write about stuff that, that more people care about. That's what I would hear. And I would always say, you know, and I certainly covered plenty of other things, but I always said my biggest passion is covering women's basketball, and I'm not going to leave that um, no matter what. If that means I make less money, Okay. If that means I don't get some job promotion, okay, because I didn't want to turn away from what was really my passion. What so many of you guys are doing, I really empathize with because it, it is a lot of your own time, you know, that when you're not doing your other job and sometimes other jobs, that you're devoting to this. And that passion is what is, is you know, the reason that you're doing it. Um, I just appreciate that. I appreciate that because I know where that's coming from, and I also know how much you're putting into it. I just got to say thank you again. Um, well, we'll keep the interview rolling because we want to have plenty of time to pick your brain because you've done such a great job over the years of not only telling the stories of the players, but you've also given us a good description of what goes on on the court too. So we'll start by asking you about one of the newest changes that have been made to the league. Uh, the WNBA is adopting a new all-star team format in the games, of course, next weekend. Yay! The format is similar to the NBA's. Um, and for the men, it increased competition by completely getting rid of the East versus West teams. Um, it allowed two of the top vote getters to draft the teams. And, and a lot of that was positively reviewed by the NBA. So do you see the same happening for the women in terms of increased competition and excitement for the fans? And are you a fan of the new all-star selection and team drafting process? Uh, well, am I a fan? You know, I don't know yet. I really mm -hmm. don't because, and I say that because, um, you know, the, the whole the East-West format was you know, it was interesting because there was sort of just a little bit of a natural affinity um, between members of the same conference. Uh, you know, it's sort of like we'll have the baseball all-star game and it's National League versus American League. That got diluted a little bit once interleague play became a regular thing, which has now been 21 years. Uh, I think that impacted the all-star game on baseball side, but you know, it's still interesting. That's why I don't know how I'm going to feel about this because um, I don't know what it's – I don't know what those teams are going to feel like. You know, those teams, what is their actual affinity? And, you know, will they, they be in a situation – I mean, we're probably almost bound to have a situation where you have people from the same WNBA team who will be on different teams in the All-Star game now. I would think that's going to happen, you know, that well, almost has to happen um, in terms of, you know, the, the two captains picking players. Um, WNBA players are, are certainly used to playing on different teams, more so even than NBA players, because so many of them go overseas. 
and then maybe teammates with somebody who's like a, you know, a huge rival in the WNBA is their teammate overseas. So I know they're used to that, but as fans, um, what side are you going to be rooting for? Like if you're a Lynx fan or whoever, you know, and, and one member of the Lynx is on one team and one's on another team, who's your, where's your rooting interest? Like, is it, like, your favorite <laughs> of those two players that you're rooting for? I just think that's going to be kind of different. Um, so I'll be interested to see how the fans react to it and what it feels like um, to, to watch it. Uh, we'll find out on Tuesday, right, who the two leading vote-getters are. And then it'll also be interesting because we're not actually going to see the picking process, which I wish we were. Mm-hmm. But then interesting to see how, what, how they pick. What's going to be their mindset? Because they've never done that. Whoever, whoever it ends up being, if it's Maya and Maya Moore and Elena Deladon, who were the you know initially, I guess one two. Um, if that if that holds up, what's their mentality? Are they going to be picking players based on you know who they like the most, who they think they play the best with? Uh, how, how are they going to go through that process? Are they going to pick players to block? Some you know like if I'm you know, if I'm whichever one of them, and I think, you know, I think she's going to pick her. I'm going to get her first. <laughs> you know, are they going to be thinking like that? We don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out, and I don't know yet how I feel about it. I guess I'll know after it's over. Ashley was going to ask you that same question about whether or not you think they're going to televise the draft. Maybe Facebook Live or Instagram Live or just utilize some sort of live feature to include us to include us in the actual draft process because I know when the men did it last year, one of the criticisms was that people wish that they they wish they could have been able to watch it or they wish it could have been televised. So I was wondering too, but we'll see. Yeah. Well I wish they I wish they would have done it or at least would have maybe done it on Twitter. Um one of the things I've heard was of course, you know, they won't know you know, they don't know that they'll announce it Tuesday, so is there a logistical issue in terms of getting both those players on Twitter at the same time and doing it. And I, I get that, but I think it's a missed opportunity. Uh, like you said, there was a lot of chatter, a lot, of, with the NBA about wanting to see the actual picking process. Because it's almost like your ultimate pickup game, right? Like, yeah. if you had the best players in the whole world, which we have on the, you know, with the NBA and the WNBA, and they're almost like they're out on a playground, and you have the two captains, and they're picking. That's so cool, you know, from that standpoint. It's so cool to think about how are they going to pick, and it would be fun to see the process. Um, but hopefully, maybe next year. You know, sometimes it takes the WNBA longer than I wish it would to, to figure out something that their fan base has already clamored for and already wants. That's a very good point, and I'll save the rest of that conversation for another day. But in addition to the all-star format, one of the newest changes to the league is the Las Vegas Aces. They've been making quite a splash, not only because of the arena that they're in, but also because of Asia Wilson. So before we get to her, I wanted to know, you've been covering the league for a long time, so you've seen your fair share of franchises, franchises come and go. What do you feel is different about the Las Vegas Aces, though, and how well do you think the city of Vegas has embraced their new team? So far, it's been great to see. Uh, they, they've they done everything in a really a first-class and professional and 
flashy way, which is exactly what you expect from Vegas. You know, it's like that's what you wanted to see. Hey, it's Vegas. Everything needs to be a little over the top. That's anything less would be disappointing from Vegas. So I've been really pleased because it's the uh, – and it's interesting because I just wrote about this, um, about I, – I did a thing sort of about the feel-good stories, and there's been a lot of them in the, in the WNBA. But one of them is the disappointment we that we all felt, I think, that San Antonio, that the, the Spurs Sports and Entertainment, essentially just – they just abandoned the stars. They lost interest. There was a you know change at the top of the leadership of Spurs Sports and Entertainment. And they just kind of let that franchise, you know, die on the vine. They really did. And it's the exact opposite of what we're seeing with MGM Resorts International. Hiring Bill Ambeer, um, the the facility I think is, is nice. It's a good size. Uh, everything seems to have been really first class so far and you guys probably saw and this may seem like a little thing but I don't I think it's big because I think it's a little thing that shows you um the buttons that they put out for you know vote Asia Wilson all-star and they sent a ton of them to uh South Carolina you know to Don Staley mm-hmm. how smart is that right like sending this huge thing of buttons to Asia Wilson's biggest group of fans Admittedly, that's across the country. I guarantee you there are people in Columbia, South Carolina, who now, you know, say, I'm going to take a nap in the afternoon (laughs) so I can stay up late to watch the Aces. And they're invested in the Aces now. So all of those things to me have been really good to see about how Las Vegas has, um, you know, that that ownership group and, and I think the fans there have embraced the WNBA. I actually had the opportunity to go to the home opener and debut of the Aces. And I remember going to the arena or even just like roaming the strip. And we were staying at a hotel, maybe like less than like two or three minutes away. And I remember just seeing those jumbotrons with the ones that had to ask for whatever shows going on that night. And I see Mariah Jefferson and I'm like, this is crazy. And the actual hotel that Mandalay Bay, um, you see the Aces posters everywhere and promos that say like basketball is here to stay in Vegas, and it was just really really cool to see the advertising that you that advertising that you just mentioned. The arena was so beautiful. I had a great time, and Asia obviously is leading the team right now. She's getting a lot of praise from experts and those who cover the sports, and she's having a really extremely impressive rookie season, and she's living up to all the hype. And there's even some chatter about her being like a dark horse candidate for MVP. And I, when I think back, I think the last player that we all have seen on that level during her first year was Candace Parker. So my question to you is, do you believe that she can win MVP in her rookie season, similar to what Candace did? Yeah, she probably has. She has the stats um, that, that put her in the conversation. I think, Part of the issue is MVP, it's almost inevitable that how your team does is going to influence your ability to, you know, to, to win that award. In Candace's case, she was with a really good Sparks team. She had a great rookie season, and they were really just seconds away from making the finals. They had that series with, uh, with San Antonio where that game two got away from them, and then they ended up losing game three. But that's how close she was to, you know, competing for a title that year, how close Candace was. 
So I think that's going to be part of it is right now the Aces are going to have to really scramble and fight to get a playoff spot. You know, they're right now, they're in ninth place. Uh, so they're going to have to find somebody that can crawl over, or at least maybe a couple of somebody that can crawl over to get in there. And that's probably going to be a factor. Whereas you look at their – right now I think the front runners has got to be Grand Stewart with Seattle uh, because the team is doing really well. They're leading. So I guess I would answer that in both ways. So I think uh, Asia's going to be in the conversation, yes, and I think her staff deserves – you know, deserve that. I think it, that that's narrative. I think it's going to be tough for her uh, because of the other competition as other veteran players and then also because of, um, you know, where where I think the Aces might end up, you know, in the scheme of things. Now, we don't we don't know, though, how the next few weeks are going to go. That's one thing about this season is we've been surprised sometimes that, that it's almost like the elevator goes up and down with mm-hmm. different teams. And so, you know, we could be talking about this three weeks from now, and the Aces could have gone on a run and climbed over a few teams, and, you know, maybe her, her chances elevate at that point. So I wanted to ask about the Liberty, because when I watch them, I kind of, like, want to shake them or tug at them or something, because they have a superstar in Tina Charles, but they just don't have much else um, helped to score or help on the glass or either side of the floor. They just don't have that second or third scoring option to really get them over the hump. Now, Katie Smith has stepped into the role as head coach, and she's the latest former player to step into the WNBA coaching ranks. So based on her playing style back in the day and how she successfully led her teams as a player and she got championships in Detroit and she just was known as one of the greatest players that we've seen, how well do you think that talent translates to her becoming a successful head coach? And do you think in the near future she can be able to lift the New York Liberty over the hump in the Eastern Conference? Well, she's really, you know, she's the type of player who throughout her career, I thought, could be a good coach someday just because she has such great understanding of the game. And then her opportunity to do that as an assistant with Bill Lambert in New York, you know, he really gave her a lot of opportunities to to make decisions, and we saw that, you know, in games where he would turn certain aspects of things over to her, and I think that helped. You know, it helped prepare her. I, I do think she's going to be successful, but there's a lot of things she's dealing with. She's dealing with a franchise that is still on the on the, the selling block. You know, it hasn't sold. They're playing in a place right now that a lot of people aren't very crazy about, you know, in, in Westchester County, which is a long way away from, um, from Madison Square Garden, um, both, both in miles and, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in many other aspects, a long way away. And right now, I, I feel like, you know, the Liberty are a team that you, that you still kind of get those senses a little short on on talent, and that's hard to say because you look at and you know, there is a lot of talent there, but then you look at a lot of other teams, and I'm not sure they, they quite measure up all the way. In fact, I'm sure they don't. Uh, let's just be, let's be honest. So that's something I think 
they're going to have to improve on. And let's say they don't, you know, they don't make the playoffs this year. They're a lottery team. It's going to be a really good draft next year again. And they can get another, you know, game-changing player. I think they need another – I think they need another really good post-score. I really do. And, I mean, I mean really good post-score in there with Tina Charles, somebody who's going to take um, some of that weight and then hope that they can stay healthy because that's been another issue that they've had is they have some really good guards, but, boy, they've had a lot of issues with health um, with some of them in particular over the last few years. So if those things can happen, I think KU continues to grow as a head coach and, and she'll have more, really even more talent to work with and, and you know, we could see, uh, you know, move forward um, by the Liberty next year. Uh, all of that, though, still, you're saying who's going to own them? You know, who's, who's are they going to be sold? Uh, where are they going to go? Are they going to stay there? Are they going to go someplace else? How's that going to affect the fan base? Those are things she doesn't have any control over. To add another question to the Liberty situation, do you think it's purely a question of talent that can match up with the rest of the league? Or do you think it may be a, a chemistry issue? And the reason I say that is because we've seen plenty of teams in all sports that may have a roster with great talent, like on paper, but it may not gel like the way they used to. And I think the Liberty at one point had a really great formula, but it seemed to have like fallen apart a little bit. Like, what do you think the issue could be? I think they still need another big impact for, I, I do. Um, and, and that's not saying they don't have that to a degree on the parameter and, or that there are, there are times when they have some, some of their other post players besides uh, Tina Charles step forward. But when you look at that team, I mean, there's one person that you can count on game in and game out to be a really high-level WNBA scorer, and, and that's Tina Charles. You might get it from some other people, but you also might not. And I think you have—I think you have to have that to actually compete for a championship. I mean, nobody's won a championship um, really ever, but certainly not any time in, in, in recent times who doesn't have, a, you know, a, more of a diversity and impact scoring. And you know. I think that's what they're going to have to have. That could be for championship. What's been interesting about that past few years is, like, it seemed like the Liberty, like you said, they really were close. And then things happened to them in the, in, in the playoffs. You know, they, they had sometimes when I think they ran out of gas. That would be the case in the, in, you know, in the 2015 Eastern Conference finals against Indiana. They ran out of gas. They had a chance to win that uh, in Indiana. And the fourth quarter got away from them. And then they had to go back home, ran out of gas, you know, in, in the decisive game three back home. Uh, the last couple of years that we've seen them in one game, you know, the one game, the new playoff format, uh, haven't played particularly well and or just, you know, got hit by a team that was playing really well. So, those things can weigh on the franchise, you know, to, to have those disappointments in the postseason. I think that sometimes that can carry over into your mentality, even if you don't want it to, to the next year. So how that, you know, impacts – I don't necessarily think they have bad chemistry, but I think sometimes they, they've had, you know, almost like some things weighing on them um, from the past 
that, um, you know, have, have proven then have, have, you know, they've happened again. You know, it's like the bad, bad karma from the year before has come again. And really quickly, I have, while we're talking about the WNBA, I want to talk about my early MVP vote in Liz Cambage. Can you just speak to her return to the WNBA and her immediate impact in the post for Dallas um, and just the wing success overall as she and Skylar Diggins have quickly become um, pretty much the league's best one-two punch together down in Dallas? Well, it's nice to see because when when she was drafted, she didn't want to come to Tulsa. That was really clear. She said that to an Australian newspaper, and then she tried to back away from it here in the States. But we all knew. And you can understand that. And I'm from the Midwest, so I'm not saying anything negative about the Midwest. But the reality is, for a kid from Australia, Tulsa was a big culture shock. It was hard. It wasn't a place she really wanted to be. Uh, it was a franchise where, you know, they had moved from success at Detroit, and a lot of their successful players didn't want to go to Tulsa, so they, just, they didn't report. Um, you know, Anna Nolan, Cheryl Ford, Katie Smith, they never played in Tulsa. So there was a lot of difficulty in making it work in Tulsa, and she was 19, right? She's from Australia, 19-year-old, number two draft pick. There's a lot of pressure. It was really tough for her. And so she just played the two seasons, 2011, 2013, and then we didn't see her again. She got hurt 2014. She had the Achilles injury. We didn't see her again except in international play. So you knew she was she was good. You knew she was progressing. But we didn't get to see her progress the same way that we saw, for instance, the number one pick that year, Maya Moore, that we've seen the entire you know, span of progress. That's what I think is so nice is that, We've, we've gotten to see now, uh, you know, Liz has matured. She's been through a lot of things, injuries and different things. And we're seeing just how good she is against the best players in the world on a, you know, every game basis. So I think that's been great. And as you said, and you're absolutely right about this, Skyler is a great point guard, a great point guard, because she has, really integrated Liz well, and at the same time, she's a great tour herself. So she's been a good leader for that team, really understands how to, you know, how to use Liz's talent and her height well. And it's nice to see, because that's a franchise that, you know, went through some really tough times, leaving Detroit, trying to make it work in Tulsa, and now, you know, it seems like things have really come together for them in Dallas. I'm glad you mentioned team and player progression because Skylar is like the poster child for for just battling back and returning from her knee injury. And it's great to see how she's developed in scoring and leadership and even in rebounding and just her game overall um, to increase her offensive dominance. I'm really I'm really glad you spoke to that, actually. Um, but I wanted to switch gears for a second to the rivalry between the Minnesota Lynx and the Los Angeles Sparks. We've really seen it blossom and develop over the past few years. Um, is it too early to say that we won't have another meetup between them in the finals? Because right now, neither of them are at one or two. There's been a lot of unpredictability and parity. Seattle's at number one. Atlanta's at number two. Right now, it's really anyone's game. Is it also too early to say that that rivalry has dissipated? Um, uh, I don't think the, I think the rivalry is still there between those two. They really, um, 
they don't like each other, uh, which is fun. You know, we need that in, in sports. Uh, it's still a very strong rivalry between the two of them, but it's going to be really tough. Um, you know, at this point, you, you, you never know. Again, like I said earlier, so many things have happened and teams have gone on different runs, but you know, what's helped, obviously, the Sparks and the Lynx the last couple of years is under the new playoff format, they were 1-2. They're automatically into the semifinals. So you don't have to go through that, you know, that pressure of a one-game, you know, winner-takes-all game in either the first or second or both rounds. Well, if things stay the way they are, the, the Lynx are going to have to go through the two of those. I don't know if they're going to stay where they are, but right now they're an eighth. So... They've shown they can lose to literally anybody in the league. They've been lost in Indiana. That's a difficult place to be in. Um, they have Rebecca Brunson hurt now. They do have an older lineup. And so I think they, right now, you have to look at that and say they're, they're facing a lot of a difficulty in terms of getting back to the finals, maybe even more so than, uh, you know, than the Sparks are. So I think the rivalry is still there. But the odds have gotten a lot longer. I mean, I thought coming into the season, I thought, I don't think they're both going to make it again. I just felt like other teams had gotten better. They were facing, you know, both of them are facing different issues. Again, I think more of the links in terms of some of the age issues. I thought coming into this this year, I thought they were going to repeat last year. Coming into this year, this season, I thought we're not going to get a three-feet of the finals. I thought... Last year, for sure, they were going to. Both of them last year were significantly, I thought, ahead still of the rest of the field. So I wasn't surprised at all that, that we got the same final. I I thought coming into this year, it was going to be hard for them to, both of them, to make it in. And I think that, you know, that's through the truth. And I, I was going to lose the other thought that I think a lot of people looked at it and thought it's going to be tough to have that 3 D. Now, they can both prove, you know, they prove me wrong because there's still a lot of great players there, but it's, it's going to be hard to see that happen again. Do you think that there's other rivalries brewing in the league right now or that may come about in the future? And do you think that these rivalries are healthy for the game? Yes. Yeah, I really do. And I, since I say that as a long-time sports fan, I think rivalries are what makes sports. And that's in individual sports um, and in team sports. So, you don't ever want them to get, you know, super contentious. There's a line after which it becomes not not good. But I don't think anybody's at that right now. I think the the rivalries are all healthy, and some of them we're just seeing start. You know, we're really starting to see them develop, and some of them um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they they get bigger depending on how these playoffs go. Because I do think we're going to have teams and players in positions they haven't been in before in these upcoming playoffs. Uh, whether that's a favorite position they haven't been in before, whether it's a, um, a scrambling to perfect um, what they have had before. So that's going to be different, and I think that, that brings out a, a, a different level of intensity, which leads into rivalries. Michelle, you've done an awesome job at breaking down a lot of what's been going on on the court this WNBA season. And before we wrap up, we want to engage in some of the off-the-court discussions around the league as well. We've had issues with legitimacy. Um, and like you said earlier, people dismissing our interest in the WNBA early on. 
You're with a great group at ESPNW, a great group of people who support women's sports. But have you experienced this type of sexism throughout your career, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that just really kind of just goes with the territory, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier different people throughout my career, starting way back in the, you know, in the 80s when I was in journalism school, who said, who literally would say, if you want to be anything in this business, you have to, you know, cover other stuff, basically cover men's sports, because that was what they thought was important. And, you know, that's when you're a young person sometimes, it's hard to push back against that. Um I think in some ways I was lucky in that I was so passionate about it. I was like, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm, I don't believe that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep advocating for it. But the difficult thing is, even back then, it was hard to get a job where your only job was covering women's sports. I mean, that was hard. Most people, almost nobody had that. You know, they might cover the women's basketball team with five or six other things that they were doing. And so, uh, you know, and I've certainly been in that position. I was an editor for many years where, you know, as you said, I wrote in my spare time. Um, and I think all along there, there was that sometimes subtle and sometimes really blatant sexism against women's sports. Um, you know, and as you guys know, there's so many things for, for Leo at the WNBA that, that they have to fight against. There's institutionalized racism, institutionalized sexism, institutionalized homophobia, institutionalized misogyny. Those things are, are very real. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it on Twitter. People aren't even, you know, they're not even, they should be ashamed of death of the things that they do and say on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not. And so the the women of the WNBA in particular have to face all of those things. And obviously the NBA has to face um, the, the institutionalized racism. Uh, they've always had to face that. But they don't. They haven't had the sexism and the misogyny and the homophobia. They haven't had that. Those are three other things that the WNBA has to face. And the people who cover women's basketball then also, you know, are – have to be engaged in that, I, you know, I call it a, you know, a battle against, against ignorance. Um, so those things have been tough, and, and uh, ESPNW has been uh, really a positive thing. And I, and I, really, I understand there are people who have their criticism, believe me, ESPN or ESPNW, I fully understand that. I, you know, I, I get that. But W has been um, – not just that I feel like it's been a really good platform for women's sports coverage, but also they've added resources that, quite frankly, we did not have before at ESPN.com. So that's been a positive, um, and I've been really fortunate that I've worked for ESPN now for, I'll be going into my, I guess, 22nd year Um I started working for them in, in 1996, so I guess my math right, yeah, 22nd year of covering women's basketball. Um, it, it, it's created some difficulties for younger people, uh, 
who still have the same battles, and sometimes it really makes me sad. Like, that some of the things, you know, just the ignorant things that people say uh, that, you know, I would have had to, you know, I would have heard back when I was 22 or 23 and thought, how could you be this ignorant? People are still saying some of those things. The positive is that a lot of younger people, such as, such as you guys, and a lot of other younger people are standing up and saying, yeah, we're not, we're not taking this. <laughs> we're not. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna speak out against it, and it takes a lot of energy to keep doing that, and it's, that's why it's so great to have younger voices who are coming in and bring that energy. Now, before we wrap up, first of all, congratulations on being with ESPN for 22 years. That's a huge accomplishment for anyone to achieve. So that's amazing. Lastly, we want to know what advice would you give to up and coming journalists, especially women, a female journalist who are trying to break into the sports industry? It sounds cliche, but a big part of it is you just don't give up. And that's hard. Uh, it can be very hard. Uh, when you're talking about your livelihood, uh, you're talking about um, your time. Uh, as people get older, maybe it's just have families. They have a lot of things that um, need their time and need their energy. And they may say, okay, how do I balance, you know, my part-time gig, if you will, uh, with women's basketball with all the other things I'm trying to do. And that's, it is, challenging. There's no question about it. I guess I would say just try to hold on to that passion you have. Try to try to believe that you're making a difference with every story, with every tweet, with every podcast, um, with every opinion. You know, we all don't agree on everything, but I'm just glad to see all the opinions out there. Somebody cares enough to say, hey, I think so-and-so is an MVP candidate, or I think I'm just like glad, okay, you care enough, you're engaged, you have an opinion about this. Um, I know that doesn't always help when you're when you're literally trying to think of this. And and I'm really empathetic to that. Um, because we've all been there, believe me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like it's been a long process to get to where I am in the business and I had advantages because the, the newspaper business was more solid when I was a young kid. Um, but I guess ultimately that's what I believe is if, if you know that what you're a part of with covering women's basketball or really any women's sports, if you know that what you're doing is culturally um, significant because it is, try to hold on to that and, and, and try to believe that sometimes, you know what, if you have to step away for a little while and you say, gosh, I just, I don't have time right now, that's okay. All of us would understand that. And then when you have the time to come back in, when you can, you know, spend the time on a piece or a podcast or whatever, how much, like I said, every one of those things means, because it's all part of that mosaic of what we're trying to do and build the sport. So, again, I hope that's not just too not too rah-rah and not, you know, real-world enough, because I do, like I said, I understand how tough the, the real world is with covering women's sports, but that that passion we have and that, that knowledge that what you're doing and what you're contributing means something, um, that, that has to be something that fuels you. Thank you so much to ESPNW's own Michelle Vopel for joining us today, giving us her wisdom and insight into the WNBA. 
and joining us to preview the All-Star Game that's going to be next Saturday broadcast on ABC. Uh, thank you so much, Michelle. If you guys want to follow her, her Twitter is Michelle, M-E-C-H-E-L-L-E-V. On Twitter, it's Michelle Vocal. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, and But before we wrap up, we want to give our own preview of the All-Star Game. Um, because as we mentioned before, there's an entirely new format. Um, the game is going to be hosted in maybe one of the most passionate WNBA cities that we have right now mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we are so excited to go. First of all, we're excited to go. Like, hello, this is our, this is my first all-star game. Lo, you've probably been to a couple. Have you been? No, any- this is my first all-star game. This is my first one. I never got a chance to go to the other ones. I'm so excited because this is my second time going to Minneapolis, which I never thought I would go back again, but I'm excited. Um, a week ago, I wasn't going. I, Princess knows the story. A week ago, I really was not going. And then, but God came through. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am heading to the All-Star game. I'm so excited. Minnesota literally is one of the... Honestly, I would say top three crowds. I've been to Phoenix. I've been to Minnesota. I've been to Dallas. And I would say Phoenix and Minnesota are neck and neck when it comes to passion. And they deserve it. That crowd is the best. Obviously, I think it translates on why the team is also so successful because they have a huge crowd galvanized around them every single night. Mm-hmm. every single game so i'm excited to go to minnesota i'm excited to go back to the mall of america i'm excited to meet everyone that we're going to meet like all these other great media folks that we see and follow on twitter i can't wait to put names to uh faces now and meet like a whole ton of new people that's what i'm really excited about players and stuff so i can't wait that's gonna be good we're just letting you guys know that we will be in minneapolis so be expecting some content to come your way of course um so i guess we should just start out by naming of course the rosters for all the players that are going to be coming um and and like we mentioned there's a whole new setup so instead of there being an east coast versus west coast we've run into an instance where there are players who play together on teams that are not together on this um, all-star team. There are players who have, that are completely different conferences that may be on the same team. Um, I think it's a little spicy. I think it's kind of cool that we switched it up a little bit. Um, So the captains, these are the two highest vote getters. Um, Those were Washington Mystics, Elena Deladon and Minnesota Lynx, Maya Moore. However, Maya Moore said, well, I think since she was a little too busy, she's, you know, of course, Minnesota's the host. Um, and so it was kind of tough for her to balance appearances and then being a captain. So I think she just, she's still an all-star, but she's just not a captain. Um, so that's how that one worked out. So in her place, the Los Angeles Sparks, Candace Parker, is now a captain. And she has drafted her two teams. Ro, do you want to in, uh, introduce one of the teams? I'll do Team Parker. Okay, go Team Parker, go Team Parker. That's low-key, the team I'm rooting for. Um, Team Parker is Liz Cambage, Tina Charles, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Chelsea Gray, Jewel Lloyd, Angel McCartry, Maya Moore, Cheney and Neko Agumike, and Ali Quigley. I can't lie. I think that's going to be the winning team. 
I know Diana Taurasi's on the other team. I know Brianna Stewart's on the other team. But let's talk about Liz Cambage. Let's break this down for a second. Who now has the single game scoring record and two game scoring record. She had 88 points in two games. The first game being a 53-point performance and the second game was a 35-point performance. Can we talk about how we witness history on Twitter? Okay? Like, the game crazy. Liz was scoring in the paint. She was scoring from the elbow. She was driving. She was knocking down threes. She was like She blacked out. Liz, she blacked out. And then she was like, I in her uh post-game interview, she was like, you know, I didn't really think I shot that well. And I'm like, girl, what? That was crazy. So I just Liz Cambage is a beast. She's on that on that list. Of course, she said she always wanted to play with Candace Parker once in her career. Now she's getting the chance to, which is bomb. Without further ado, the team Deladon, led by Elena Deladon, is Simone Augustus, Sue Bird, Dewana Bonner, Sylvia Fowles. Brittany Griner, Kayla McBride, Brianna Stewart, the one and only Diana Taurasi, Christy Tolliver, and rookie Asia Wilson. She is what? The only rookie up here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only rookie to make it. In there. See, this... Okay. Here's my, here's my thing. Mm-hmm. Team Deladon is tall as hell. <laughs> <laughs> you got Elena, who's... You got Sylvia Files, Brittany Griner, Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Elena, like that's Juana Bonner. She's like she's what Juana Bonner. Long, like her arms are long. Yes, yeah, this is a tall, long team. Both teams have scorers, but I don't know. Like Team Parker looks fast to me. Like yeah. Maya's fast, Skylar's fast, Jules fast. Both teams. Ha- I don't know. It's. Who do you think is going to be the starting five? That's hard as hell to pick. <laughs> All right. If I could just, like, pick the starting five from from Team Parker. Maya. Candace. Skylar. Liz. NECA. Okay, I have the. I'm not rooting for Deladon to win. That was hard, by the way. That was a hard pick because I really was leaning. It was between Skylar and Jewel. I'm just introducing Deladon right now. I'm not saying this is my team to win it because I I don't know if they kind of got what what Team Parker has, but I don't know if Deladon is going to be somewhat coaching. So if she is, I think she's going to have Chrissy Tolliver in as point, of course, her teammate. Um. Two, I definitely think will be Diana Tarazi. Um, at the three on the wing, oof. Uh, we'll, we'll, oh, I think I'll put Simone Augustus. She's usually in the post, but we'll, she's usually um, at the guard. But sometimes she could hop in the post too. Definitely think Deladon is going to be running the four and for the five between Sylvia and Brittany. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Syl. I think she'll have to with the five. Yeah. Go Last year's MVP, you got to at least put her in, you know, starter this time. Oh, this is a hard one. What happened, yo, what happened if we were right? Mm-hmm. Picks are right? Could you imagine? We are analysts. I don't know what you're talking about. What will happen if we're right? This, 
This is a legit analysis right here. <laughs> we need to get paid for our picks. So yes, I'm excited. Um, also, let's talk about the activities that are going to be taking place um, at the All Star Game. So Rebecca just wants to know that she just wants y'all to know that she got an itinerary in her email. She's feeling special. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't. First of all, that's not the case. I just want to inform the people of what's happening. All right, so that way they can know where to catch their favorite players. And yes, I am a little excited that I got an itinerary. Okay. <laughs> Thursday the 26th at 3 o'clock will be the Junior NBA and uh, <laughs> in Spalding. They're, holding, they're hosting a WNBA All-Star Clinic. This will be at Mayo Clinic Center. Do your research to find the address and stuff. It's a clinic for about 75 to 100 girls, so that's going to be dope. On Friday, which is when a lot of the festivities, both of the festivities are taking place, um, 9 a.m. will be a WNBA All-Star Fit Clinic at the Lifetime Athletic Center. Um, the All-Star Practice will be at 1 o'clock at the Target Center. And the Orange Carpet will be from 5.30 to 6 also at the Target Center outside of the Lexus Lounge. And then on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So that's what, 12 p.m. Minnesota time? Mm-mm, it's only an hour behind, right? I have no idea how far behind we are. It's just an hour. Because remember we went out there at the central time. I'm sorry, guys. I don't remember time zones. I just know Eastern time and Pacific time. That's all I know. All the other time zones in between, I never remember. But the... um. The All-Star Game will be taking place, it says 2.30 Central Time on ABC. And they're bringing back three-point contests as well. So it'll be showcasing six current WNBA players. Um, and the winner will get $10,000 to be donated to the charity of their choice. This is going to be so much fun. Also, what I would highly suggest to you guys is if you are not following us on social media, uh, you can follow us at the WBodcast underscore on Twitter and at the W podcast on Instagram and you can follow our respective like individual pages. So mine is beyond the W on everything. Princess is at PB streets underscore on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I need to get mine all one universal one. So I could just be like, <laughs> so on everything, but my name's so long that I can't really get it to work on both, but sidebar, it is princess B streeter on Instagram. So follow us because if there's any other events that will be going on that I think would be great for fans to attend or open to fans to attend, we'll be tweeting it out. And that way you can come and join in on the festivities and all that. So I'm really, really excited. And I think this season so far has been one of the best WNBA seasons, at least that I've witnessed. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's faster. Ali quickly got a triple-double, first ever in Chicago Sky history just a couple days ago. Um, Shekinah Strickland is going off, I think, as we speak for like eight or nine threes right now, just killing it. Of course, like we mentioned, Liz Cambage. It's like such a good season, um, and I'm so glad so many eyes are coming on the WNBA as well because they're putting on a show, for real. They're putting on a show. For sure, and it's great to see the ladies get some rest because – after the 
the game after the all-star game, you know, it's going to be the real playoff push. And these standings are real tight. (laughs) These standings are very tight. So currently the standings are as follows. Number one is Seattle. Number two is uh, the dream. Number three is Phoenix. Four sparks, five mystics, six Minnesota, seven wings, eight Connecticut. And the Vegas, the Las Vegas aces are right behind them at number nine. Chicago at 10, Liberty at number 11, and Indiana with the last spot in the league. So just looking at this right now, number four, five, and six have the same exact record, 14 and 10. The Sparks, the Lynx, and the Mystics. Like, it's going to be crazy. I think Seattle and Atlanta are at a pretty good, comfortable spot, especially Seattle. They're 18 and 7. Mm. I wouldn't say comfortable. Atlanta just beat Seattle. They're on a seven-game win streak. I wouldn't call it comfortable. Well, maybe not comfortable, but they're further ahead than any other team. Like, their their losses is still in the single digits, put it that way. Okay. True. Everyone, what, two or three games behind. That's, yeah. that's catchable. Yeah. The number three, Phoenix got 15 and 10. Bit, like I said, uh, Sparks, Washington, Mystics are all three of them 14 and 10. Dallas 14 and 11, Connecticut's 13 and 12, Vegas is 11 and 13, and then the rest are in the single digit winning column. So yeah. it's ugh, telling you, it's going to get real crazy over the next couple of weeks. I can't wait. I love the WNBA, it makes me happy. Yeah, and the All Star break is going to be good. We're going to have fun. And after that is when it's like, all right, who's making the playoffs? Who's making the finals? What's going down? So, of course, we'll be there with you every step of the way. You know what? I think we need to give somebody a birthday shout out. I think we need to give someone very special, uh, a trailblazer, if you will. I think we need to, to wish Indiana Fever star, WNBA legend, Indiana sports organization pioneer Tamika Catchings. I think the only player ever in history to drop a quadruple double in high school. So I know she did that. I'll always have that stat in my brain. She killed it. <laughs> we need to give her a happy birthday shout out. Happy birthday catch. One of my favorite players. And one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. If you've never gotten an opportunity to talk to Tamika Catchings, if you ever run into her at a game, go up to talk to her. She is one of the sweetest, kindest, someone with real good energy around her. And she is brilliant when it comes to basketball. She's going to be a force within the business side of sports. I know she's actually trying to get on the track to possible ownership or to be a GM or something like that. So she's trying to get into the front office of, uh, of a team. And she's she's amazing. She has her, uh, she's an entrepreneur, so she has her uh, tea shop. I think it's called Teas Me or something. Her tea shop in Indiana. She's still doing amazing work work with her foundation. Always get emails, notifications about some of the great stuff that she's doing with the youth in Indiana, and she's just amazing. So, happy birthday to you, catch. Any other birthday shout-outs? Mm, I think that's all. I don't oh. know. 
Cool. Nope. Gotta give a happy birthday shout out to the man who was making our entire housing situation possible in uh, the All Star game. Yes. <laughs> Blake D. Don is happy birthday. We love you. Happy birthday, Blake. I cannot wait to meet you. Thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Ooh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. We cannot wait to meet you. Coach Blake on Twitter. He's awesome. He's all over the women's basketball landscape. He's all over the coverage. Um, he's definitely someone to follow on, on Twitter and any other platform where he is talking women's basketball. So happy birthday to you as well, Blake. You're awesome. Happy birthday. And thank you again. Let me tell you. But God, okay. One day, me and Frances will will share our stories about how God just be sending people our way. <sighs> Thank you, Blake. <laughs> Thank you. We will cook a meal that one of those nights that we're there if we have to. Thanks. Look, y'all don't think we're dramatic. This is literally an entire. This is an entire story. Okay, this is an entire testimony. So. Oh. We just got to say thank you and, and leave it at that. But yes, thank you, Blake. Enjoy your birthday. Happy birthday to you. What is this, cancer season? Oh, y'all, whoever y'all are. No, me. no, no, no. Wait, wait, hold on. It's the beginning of Leo season. Okay, whatever. Whoever y'all are. Me. I like Scorpios. So y'all go ahead and do y'all. Leo thing. season begins today, fellow Leos. Get your manes fresh. Yes, a lion's mane. Get it fresh. Whip your hair back and forth. It's our season. Get your roars ready. When you say get your mains, I thought you meant like get your main like girl, your main guy. I'm like, are you sides? The lions, me. You know, lions with big old hair. Mm-hmm. Be proud and just you know that's what we do. So yes, my birthday is coming. Leo's. It's Leo season. Thank you for joining us for our all star. Shut off my Leo celebration. By the way, I peeped that. It's all right. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up with that one. <laughs> Scorpio. Um, shout out, no, for real though, shout out to all the birthday babies, everyone who's celebrating a birthday. Lo, obviously you was coming up. Happy early birthday to you as well. We're going to have a birthday episode to celebrate for you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. You don't have to. But yes, we are going to celebrate your birthday as we are going to celebrate All-Star. And don't forget, we will be there for all the coverage. I moved up my flight and everything to make sure I didn't miss a thing mm-hmm. to bring to you guys um, and to make sure that you guys have everything that you need to stay in tune and be up to date with coverage. We're going to try to do some podcasts definitely there from the um, from the arena, from our rooms from the Starbucks up the street. We're going to get you guys some good content. Don't worry. It's going to be good. And if there's any players that you guys want us to interview or talk to or try to, any questions that you want us to ask anyone during the All-Star break while we're out there, please, please do not hesitate to email us at the wpodcast at gmail.com or send us a direct message either on Instagram at the wpodcast or Twitter at the wpodcast underscore Please do not hesitate because we will love to be the voice of you guys and try to find ways to connect you to your favorite people. So let us know. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us again. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation with Michelle Vopel, um, just as we did. Um, She brought so much information. Shout out to her. Don't forget to follow her as well. Um, And thanks. We will catch you all next episode. Enjoy. Talk to you soon.